Okay, happy Thursday. Episode six of Let's Talk Hoops. What's up, Eric? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Ah, uh, man, not too bad. Happy to have you on, man. I'm happy we kind of like ended it, I mean, scheduled it the way we did because we can talk a little tournament. We can talk a little bit trade deadline, you know, uh, because the trade deadline was just an hour ago. And um, I think we can respond to stuff before we get to listen to the people we like respond to stuff and we get our actual uh, clear thoughts on it. So let's open up a little bit of college basketball. And for those of you who know me, you know, I don't really watch college basketball. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've just become more and more detached from college basketball. I don't know if it's because I just don't really like the style of play anymore. It's hard to keep up with the players. I don't know. I just don't watch college basketball. So I think some of the reasons why I don't watch college basketball, for one, it's too coach-centric, not not necessarily player-centric. A lot of times teams are playing in systems and players – it's like we can't wait to see that player play in the NBA where there's actually more space and there's better players around him. And, you know, you get to see him get out and boogie. Also, the one and done has made it hard to become attached to the player because if you're not following high school recruiting or at least just the recruiting of your favorite team, you, you really don't know who's playing because you don't get to see this person year in and year out. And lastly, I think the emergence of what we have going on with the G League and the ability to play overseas is also taken away from the college basketball experience because you have more talented players getting the opportunity to go to go to uh, the G League or overseas to make money. And yeah, they get the money under underneath the table to go to college. But when you're going somewhere where you're getting paid a salary and people know you're getting paid and you don't have to hide it, it, it changes it. And I think that what we're trying to do here in America and what we've been doing is college used to be our farm system for basketball. I think it was a great farm system the way that it was once used when players had the option of going straight to, uh, straight to the NBA or going to college. And you kind of, you, you had a little bit more, I guess, decision on your, on your route to going. But if you went to college, you weren't necessarily deemed for staying in college as players are now. If you stay a second year or third year and develop more, it's like, hold on, is this person as good as we thought they were? And the more chances, the more eyes they get on them, the easier the stock the easy it is for for their stock to drop, and now instead of going early uh, early lottery, you could be going at the back end of the first round just because you stayed. So obviously players aren't staying, and I think that we should start to move towards a more European model for our college basketball or for our post secondary basketball. College basketball is a means to get you to college and maybe it can get you to the, maybe can get you to the league, but I don't think it should continue to be the primary means uh, for basketball players to get to the next level. I was listening to an interesting, uh, I was watching um, the nuggets on league pass the other day and Joker talked about how he had to make a decision early. It was either basketball or it was school. It, it wasn't both. And I think that, 
we should move towards that model. But the issue that we have is just the, the, the greed part in it. There is so much money made on college athletes. And right now, the only benefits they reap of it is some cool Nike gear, you know, the opportunity to get an education, but they're not seeing at all any of the returns that they deserve for how their likeness is being used to generate funds for their school. Uh, the I looked up what the 2019 tournament, just the, just the NCAA tournament itself brought in over a billion dollars for college basketball. And I don't know. I think that college basketball should just become what it is, college basketball. It's its own form of basketball anyways. And the top players no longer go to college. They go to the G League and we get them involved in the farm system that it appears that we're trying to build here in America, uh, kind of like they have in European soccer and even in European basketball. Get get them playing ba- get basketball players playing basketball early because that's how they get better instead of going to college. And hey, if you go to college and you happen to be good enough to go to the league, it's an option, but you go to college just to go to college. Am I crazy for this, Eric? I don't think you're crazy. What I will say is if they're going to do a system like that, a farm system similar to Europe, a lot of those kids are going to the farm system not when they're 17, 18, so high school age. They're going to like 12, 13. So if you are going to do that, it's going to have to start way earlier than we even are thinking. And the difference is if a kid goes when they're 12 and is 5'9", and then by the time they're 18 is only 6'1", 6 feet, like that hurts them a lot more in basketball because it is so dependent on your size. So that one, that one's just hard to do. And then college basketball, I don't think the one and done is the issue because when you go before the one and done rule and players were just going from preps to pros, college basketball did fine. And even if they start a system like if the G League becomes the primary place for NBA talent to go before they get to the NBA, college basketball will still be fine. So I know it is a money grab. If that's the only place you can go, the best players are going to go there. But I think, period, college basketball will be fine. But I think the fact that kids are using college as a means to just do this one year, then go to the NBA. The NBA product is, in my mind, being hurt. It's a it's a feast or famine league. And you're always going to have your like guys at the top of the top. And those guys nowadays are, I think, the best we've ever seen. Like the shot making, the playmaking ability, some of the best we've ever seen. But in that bell curve where it used to be a lot of guys in the middle, a lot of those guys in the middle now are not as good as a lot of the guys where that middle of the pack used to be when dudes did stay in college for a little while longer. Like the bad guys at the end of the bell curve are bad, and that just is what it is. But that that key piece in the middle, that's the part where I think the NBA is really hurting out by the rules now where people just go straight from the league uh, and do them one year of college. So here's why I, I, I think it's something we should do. Here's why I've kind of played with it and looked into it some. Um, yes, I think college basketball will be fine because there are people who are college basketball fans and it doesn't matter who's playing. It, they're watching their team. They're watching their alma mater. They're watching their parents' alma mater, their hometown school or whatever. They're just watching college hoops because they love college hoops. And the form system piece you talked about, yeah, we got to start it early. I absolutely agree that we should start it early. But if you look at the way 
kids are getting involved in, in, in sports much earlier as far as training and playing a year round schedule. What's the difference now? Okay. We're going to, we just take them out of their regular education. As far as the schools they go to, you have your, you have your whatever, wherever your farm system set up and yeah, they get their basic level of education so they can function, but they're just focusing on sports. I, I think the people who want to put their kids down that route would would do it in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, and I think it's I think that way probably is the better way to go if you think about it. Like the top high schools are essentially that right now. If you look at the the Oak Hills, the Montverde Academies, those kids, Montverde Academy, those kids are from like all over the place. They're not not all of them are from Florida. Same thing with Oak Hill, it's in the middle of Virginia. IMG Academy the same way. So they're starting to kind of do that. The kids that are the cream of the crop in these certain sports are going to school essentially to compete on the highest levels, and that that is it. And I personally don't have a problem with it. It happens in other major sports. Uh, happens in baseball. Kids can go straight. Some kids do go to college, but you can go straight from high school to the pros and play in someone's farm league system. And by the time you're 19, 20 years old, be playing in the major leagues. So I don't mind the competition you're playing is better. Because at the end of the day, Oak Hill is going to play the top teams in the country, but also has to play the teams in their conference where the best player on that team is a center and he's six foot three. And that's the size of Oak Hill's point guard. So it would be better for these top players to honestly just be playing each other. And that's what a farm league system is. You're not going and playing normal kids. And then in college, there's just so many teams, so many players where you're also not getting a good idea there. So like Duke might have three kids going to the league one year and then another blue blood might have another three. And then you've got several other players like littered throughout the schools. Imagine if all those kids were playing each other all the time, it's going to raise the level of competition. And I think that would be the better way to go. And I think it, it does something for the blue bloods now because you don't have coach K and, and all these other coaches fighting for these guys who are one and done, they're not going to buy into the system. You know, they can't actually create any type of continuity in their programs. And I think that's why you see Gonzaga has been a consistent contender. And then this year you add your one top end player, you know, and look at what we have here. We have a team that's, that's uh, so far been head and shoulders than everybody else. Because I even went back and started looking at national champions um during the one and done era and the two teams that we think about that were one and done champions they still had veteran leadership on their teams and if you look at any of the other teams like bro it's littered with junior senior sophomores you know you got the 14 15 duke team we go oh yeah that's the one and done team but if you look at the roster eric i mean you know the roster they had quinn cook who was a senior who was their second leading scorer yeah, you had Winslow and Tides Jones and Jaleel Okafor, but you also had Emil Jefferson. So that's one team. And then I also look at the uh, Kentucky team with AD. Again, another team that we think about AD and we think about Michael Kidd Gilchrist, but their second leading scorer, Deron Lamb, was a sophomore. Terrence Jones, a sophomore. So it's not like one and done is winning you national championships. It's getting you top players, but it's not getting you over the top. That part. So that part right there, 
I very much so disagree with. And I thought it, I thought that was the truth also. And then I went back and looked at it. So Kentucky, by and large, since the one and done rule was in, instituted, has been everybody has said like they're a one and done team every year. So they won that national championship in 2012. But when you go back and look at it, so I was looking at schools who had three or more freshmen in the starting five. And then just also it says like experience. If your experience was less than a year, so mostly it was like 0.7. If it was around in there, you were starting most, you were getting play from mostly freshmen. I looked at it and Kentucky's teams were, they went in 2019 to the Elite Eight and 2018 to the Sweet 16. He has like three Elite Eights in there, a couple Final Four runs. He's got two, uh, he got one time they went to the championship game and lost in 2014 to Shabazz Napier and them. And then the other team is really Duke. Duke had the team with Zion, RJ Barrett, and them in 2019. They went to the Elite Eight. The year before that, they had Marvin Bagley, uh, Trey Duvall, Gary Trent, and them. They went to the Elite Eight. And then in 2015, they won the national championship. The other one-and-done teams, there really aren't many. There was Ohio State in 07 with Greg Oden, Mike Conley, and Daquan Cook. They went to the championship game and lost to Florida. There was Kansas, and they had Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, and then another freshman in the starting five. And they underperformed round of 32. And then there was Texas with KD, uh, DJ Augustin, and then another guy, Damian Jones. They went out in the round of 32. But by and large, the one-and-done teams are Duke and Kentucky. And if you look at it, it's really just you're essentially saying it's them two against the field. So everyone says it's these veteran-laden teams. There's only really two schools that year in and year out have one-and-dones. And since the time one-and-dones have been instituted, no school other than really Villanova and I would say – Connecticut, you can maybe throw North Carolina in there also because they, they've won two championships. No school since 20, 2007 to now is doing better than Duke and Kentucky besides three. So when people are like, it doesn't get you results, if you're going to the Elite Eight and Final Four multiple times, you're you're doing something right. Like think of Kansas is a blue blood and they're in the mix every year. They haven't done as well as Kentucky's done in that run. And those teams are typically pretty veteran laden. Louisville won a national championship, veteran-laden team. But majority of the time, there's somebody's got to lose, and you have two schools that are carrying a lot of one-and-dones, and they are doing very well. You really cannot name, aside from Villanova, Connecticut, and even if you want to throw North Carolina in the mix, there are not any teams aside from those three that are doing better than Kentucky and Duke in that time since the one-and-done has been instituted. So people say, like, it doesn't win you anything. If any other school was veteran-laden and had the run that – Duke and Kentucky were having in that time frame, we would be lauding them. So you can't say that it's not working for Duke and Kentucky. But if any other school had that same resume, we would be praising them. But I think the pushback comes because you look at the the name talent that they have, then you look at the the NBA performance that these players are having now once they leave the schools, and you go, the championships just aren't adding up. And And I get that. And at some point, like experience, of course, does come into the mix because, like you said, the Terrence Jones Duran Land team, the year before that, they went to the Final Four. And that right there, they, they won it their sophomore year. That one year is a ton of experience. So I get that experience does help. But the college game is very different. You guys were just in high school in May. You guys had the summer and now you're playing together and going to the Elite Eight Final Four. I think that's a big deal because a lot of these veteran teams also aren't getting that far. So if you think of the talent that's going to the NBA that are upperclassmen, and it's not much people want to pluck the young guys. If a dude is 21, people are like, he's he's old already. It's going to be his 22nd birthday during the season, like 22. 
This yeah. kid has still got fresh legs. But yeah, like was, who, who's, who's great in the NBA at 22? Yeah. Not many but all I'm saying is we can't look at it and be like, well, they're not winning championships. When if any other program was had had a similar resume, we would say, wow, they're really doing it. Like Jim Beheim's got one national championship. He's one of the best coaches of all time. Since one and done was instituted, Calipari's won a championship and has gone to more Final Fours. Gone to more, like he's done better than all these guys we think of, except for Coach K, Roy Williams, and and Jay Wright. He's done better than all of them. Man, fair. Uh, it's funny you bring up Beheim and it's um, think about how much respect and love he got before he won his natty. And you look at um, what's my man in East Lansing, uh, Izzo. Oh, Izzo. He's only won one, and he puts his hands on his players. That's a conversation for another day. But outside of Coach K, what active coaches are 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 winning multiple championships? Yeah, Jay Wright won recently. Um, what's my man's name? Roy Williams is one. But a lot of these great college coaches have one. Bill Self only got one. Uh, Cal. Calipari got one. One and then, just got it. I mean, I mean, it's been 10 years now, but yeah, Patino's got a couple. But I'm saying a lot of these coaches that we're looking at and, and people are praising and saying are all timers have one championship. And I don't understand the flack that Calipari gets and like he's ruining the game. He's y'all would trade resumes with him in a minute, except for like those three coaches we named. Yeah, but they're haters, and also he's he's exploiting the inefficiency in the system. And he can just do it better than them. And he had this documentary where he said, I'm in the business of making these guys, getting these guys rich, get them to the next level. And if I win a national championship on the way to it, then so be it. Yeah. And you've got these guys who are like, who, who take offense to that. And they're like, he's just being a filter for the NBA. He's ruining the game, but he's still doing better than you. If his MO is to get these kids to the league and that's why they go play for him. And he's still winning more than you. That's a you problem. Yeah. So another thing that I was looking at with college basketball and a reason why I, I just think it's really okay for it to become its own its own game, I looked through the Naismith uh, Players of the Year over the last uh, 20 years, and do you know only six of them were all-star or all-NBA players? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Luca Garza is going to win it this year. And no one cares. We'll see what happens. Obi Toppin is actually doing – well, he's surprising, and the, the Knicks as a whole are surprising. But, like – McBuckets. I, I like McDermott on the Pacers, but like nobody really thought he was going to come in and light it up. Uh, Hands bro, Come on, man. Yeah, that one. Uh, Evan Turner won one. And I actually, and I mean, he. I was in high school when he came out, so I thought he was going to do better. But a lot of those players that are winning those awards ain't it. Bro, how about Andrew Bogut? He, he, he won one. Never made an all-star game, but he made all-NBA one year. Andrew Bogut was balling. Granted, I'm I'm not going to sit up here and say he was he was one of the best players in the NBA, but he had a he was a solid like role guy. Yeah, and what I and what I've come to accept and realize is there's no science to translating whether or not college to NBA is going to work. There isn't, but I would say that the NBA is easier to get I think than other sports like you can look at the players and of course the accolades you win in college they don't always translate to the NBA 
But for the most part, people get it right when they're saying, like, we're going to trade this guy early and this is what it's going to become. So Kyrie didn't play much, but you could see, like, this kid's going, this kid's going to be good. He went number one and look, look what he's done. A lot of the times, I think they get it right. But I mean, think about, but think about players in the like the top, let's say five to 12 range. It's a crapshoot. And, and I think the way that we compare players is just terrible. You, you know, every time we, we do a comp and with the NFL draft heating up, we're hearing all these comps and the comp is always a, a pro bowler or a pro player, a hall of famer. And I get that you're trying to match styles to names that the casual fan will recognize. But sometimes you need to compare that point guard coming out of St. John's to Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah. Like, he's a rotation guy, nothing special, but, I mean, his career can be three years, his career can be 13 years. It just depends on what type of locker room guy he is and what coaches he plays for. Yeah, that that's the one part about comps that bug me because the comp is always someone who is an all-timer. And I'm just like – it's okay to say, like Cape Cunningham, I've seen, I'm not going to say I've sit, sat up here and watched all his games. He's projected to be the number one pick. When I watch him, I'm like, he kind of reminds me of like a Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum type. And that kind of makes sense. B.I. went number two. Jason went number three. And people were saying he should have gone number one. So I'm like, that makes sense. That's a number one player. This is what he could become. But people are like, we got to compare him to and then insert all-time great scorer. And I'm just like, let's well, I I have our breaks on this. I hear Penny. Yeah, and I'm just like, why Why don't we just slow down before we start comparing him to first-team All-NBA guys? Because that's not what we do in this microwave society. But let's not talk about college basketball too long because people don't really care about college basketball, uh, despite what they say. <laughs> trade deadline. So there's a lot that we can talk about in the trade deadline. And creating a trade deadline note, Trading, creating notes for the trade deadline when you're recording literally an av- hour after is fucking hard because you spend up all this time with these trades that you think are going to happen, and then it doesn't happen and goes, ah, oh, man, I prepped for this, and I'm not going to use it. Just a little transparency for you all. So there was nothing to me that I think was crazy headline grabbing to the point that I think that it puts a team, takes them from, you know, fringe contender to contender. I, I, I think that the trades have made teams interesting. Uh, so I think the first one, the most, I guess the most eye-popping one is what, Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets? Yeah, and I like it. Like when we found out about the JaVale trade, I was like, I this doesn't really do anything for them. And then they got Aaron Gordon. I was like, okay. But then when I sat and thought about it, they really just replaced Plumlee and Grant from last year. They're, I think they're right back in the same place they were last year. I don't think they got any better than last year's team, which overachieved. I think they're now, they're sitting what in like the fourth, they're sitting in the fifth seed. I think. No, they are. They're behind yeah, the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, the, my bad. yeah, you're right. They're fifth. I think they get to, they maybe get to the fourth seed and, get out in the second round. So I just don't think that would move the needle for them. And that was probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest trades of the day. And I'm like, all you did was get back to where you were last year. And you're taking away touches from Michael Porter Jr. 
Yeah, Michael Porter Jr., which may be the right thing to do. And you're telling him that you're probably not going to sign him. You're going to trade him like you had to do with uh, Malik Beasley because there's a salary cap. Yeah. So I I don't think it did anything, did much for them. And here's my thing about trade deadline, Eric. Most of the time, we're, we could spend hours talking about these moves, and they don't really move the needle at all. Like it's not like we got a pal for for uh, a pal for Kwame Brown and them uh, trade, or how the how the uh, Cavaliers stole what was it? they stole uh, Jr. when they were trying to get Shump. It was like, oh yeah, we're just throwing Jr. too, and it's like. Just gonna throw him in? Sure, yeah, we'll take that. Yeah, you know. So what else we got? We got we got uh Raptors trading Norman Powell to the Blazers for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. So the two Dukies are going to Toronto and Norman Powell, who's averaging like a quiet 17, goes to the Blazers. And again, I think it makes the Blazers better. I think. Does it? Like when I saw the trade, so Norman Powell's playing at 19, 3, and, and 2. He's shooting well from the 3. And then I saw it and I was like, why would they give up Rodney Hood? And like, I will always hold on to hope that Rodney Hood is going to come out and, and be the next big thing. He's got a smooth shot. It does, it's for some reason, just not going right now. But his shot is good. He's like a, a lengthy 6 8 wing. So I will forever hold out hope that Rodney Hood is going to be the Rodney Hood we've seen of him like at his peak. But he's a dookie and he's left-handed, Eric. We can't help but love him. He's he's scoring 4.7 points a game. He's got not even two rebounds and just over one assist. So like his numbers are awful. I get that move. I'm always gonna hold that hope. But when I saw it, I was like, of all people to get rid of, why Rodney Hood? And then I saw Gary Trent's numbers, and his numbers are lower than Powell's. He's 15, 2, and 1. He's shooting 39% from three, damn near 40%. So like his numbers are good. I just think they did. I think they traded for the same guy. Like Norman Powell's numbers are slightly better, but oddly more is required of him on the Raptors. It's like a four-headed monster of him, Siakam, who I think has regressed, Kyle and and Fred VanVleet. If they got VanVleet, I'd be like, that is a, that's a significant move. But I think Gary Trent for Powell, because I think Gary Trent can go into Toronto and average that many points. So I think it was. I think it was the same thing. Yeah, I didn't see either team getting better. I, I guess maybe Norman Powell is a can score differently than Gary Gary Trent. That's that's the only thing I can think of is like how you get the points. Um, Victor Oladipo, who turned down the extension from the Rockets, uh, going to uh, the Heat for Olenek and Bradley in a pick swap. Is Ola? What is Oladipo? And that's the I like it if Oladipo can somehow like turn back the hands of time. If he's pulling the James Harden and comes out of Houston and is like, "Gotcha, bitch!" Just like James Harden did, then like this is a great <laughs> trade for Houston. But if he's if he's in Miami and looking like what we've seen this last year, then it really didn't do anything. And I get it, holding on hope. Like, what is Kelly Olynyk really giving you? And if in the off chance Oladipo does still have some Oladipo left in the tank. It's a great move, but I just don't know if Pat Riley and them will be able to unlock that. I think I might like, be gone. I like them not having to give up Duncan Robinson in the move. 
Um, I think that the big thing that I was looking at is, do they keep Robinson? Do they keep Hero? And whatever move they're going to make. Because when it was rumored that they were going after Kyle Lowry, uh, Duncan Robinson, uh, excuse me, uh, Tyler Hero was probably going to be the piece that would have made that move happen. And they're like, nah, bro, you can get Duncan. You're not, we're not giving you Hero for a 35 year old on an expiring contract. No, I got it. And I get, I get why if you're Toronto, you're saying, give me Tyler Hero. But, and I get them being like, you can take Duncan Robinson, but I think keeping Hero, keeping Duncan Robinson and adding Oladipo, I think, I think that's huge. Potentially, if Oladipo is Oladipo, if you're giving up Duncan and, and or Hero, you got to get a, a Kyle Lowry uh, level player. Okay, so keeping it with Kyle Lowry, the Sixers added George Hill. And I'm always unimpressed by George Hill. That's actually funny because I've been impressed by him and unimpressed at the same time. I like George Hill, and then and George Hill is he's will have spurts where it's like, oh, this is this is why they got George Hill, and then other times it's like, damn, like what is George Hill doing? So I like the move, but that one also it just hinges on hinges on a lot. Like which George Hill are we going to get? I like that he can handle the ball. I'm not expecting him to go out and get eight, nine assists, but he can handle the ball. If the ball, that ball is now not in Ben Simmons hands. I like Ben Simmons as like a slasher, not in like a pick and roll, like running around, catching the ball, diving to the basket and then making a pass from there. That second, third pass in the set, I think is where he excels and so then just going to the rim. So you don't like Ben Simmons as your primary ball handler and point guard. In transition, yes. If we're in a set, which they do a lot, be, just because their corner piece is is Joel Embiid, no. With with you not being able to shoot, people are going to back off you. He's a downhill style player, so I do like George Hill in the one spot now. So I, re- I oh my god, I wish you were in this other group text because we got to talking about it this morning before the trades happened, right? And Josh was like, "Do you think the?" Um, that Kyle Lowry makes the the 76ers a contender. And I go, yeah. I I think that the 76ers, depending on how the games are played, uh, could give Brooklyn a run as is. Yeah, I do too. So if you add Kyle Lowry, you're damn right, I think, that that makes them a contender and gives them a better chance of beating them. And Josh was just shitting on Kyle Lowry. And I'm not a Kyle Lowry guy. I'm not either. Ever since he went to Toronto, I haven't been. Or actually, the last couple years in Toronto. (laughs) But I have to respect what he's done. He's he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. It's the NBA. True. And he's like, they already have a point guard. They have Ben Simmons. And I'm like, yes, they have Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons can run the point. He has the skill set to run the point, but I don't want Ben Simmons as my point guard. I want Ben Simmons, like you said, as that slasher and that dunker role, you know. Hey, I would like to run a pick and roll with Ben Simmons as my role man. Yeah. And I love Ben Simmons catching the ball, like already moving, and then he makes a pass from there. He has the playmaking. He has the vision to bring the ball up the court, but that's not what you want. Like, yes, can he? Yes. Should he? No. 
And a lot of people are like, but he can do it. But that doesn't mean he should do it. Right. And he's not being his best self while he's doing. There's other things no. that he can do. And if you add it, I think if they added Kyle Lowry, that's not my favorite to come out of the East. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to Brooklyn, but I don't think that's – I think that's a very tough series for them if Philly had added Kyle Lowry. Are you shocked Lowry didn't move? Not at all. Just with what they were asking for for him, uh, like you said, he's he's older now, got an expiring contract. Who's going to make that move? Nobody. I, I'm curious to see what they're going to try to cook up at the uh, during the summer, because I can't imagine that they're just going to let the asset walk away for nothing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And Masai is a smart dude, so I, I'm sure he's got some sort of contingency plan. But there was no way in hell they were going to move him with the haul they were asking for to, was it, to get Kyle Lowry. Was it like uh, two players, two picks? Yeah, you're not like, getting you're that. You're not Russell Wilson. Stop. You're not getting that. <laughs> um. Oh, something else from that trade. Uh, Austin Rivers moved to the um, Thunder. For? It was a, so a three-team It was deal. part of the three-team trade. Yeah. Okay. So we, we get Austin Rivers with uh, SGA. I, I've given up hope on Austin Rivers. You Austin. watch him play, and it's, it's so nice. It's a bunch of, like, million-dollar moves, $2 finishes. And... I'm I'm tired of watching Austin Rivers with what SGA is becoming. I don't like Austin taking the ball from him because he's he's ball dominant, which is weird because he doesn't facilitate anything. So I don't get that one because SGA needs the ball in his hands. Yeah, and the Bulls, the Bulls, they um they low-key got away with highway robbery. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Let me see. I'm trying to find that trade. Fucking, uh, oh, yeah. The <laughs> Vucevic and Aminu to the Bulls for Wendell Carter <laughs> and draft pick. I, I'm just trying to understand. And I think they also, Otto Porter moved also, but I don't know if it was in that trade or not. But he moved to the Celtics, right? Or no. Fournier moved to the Celtics. You got rid of. Wendell Carter Jr., who I like. Wendell Carter Jr. is a good player. But you got back an all-star. Uh, they got Umba Mute, who is okay. But the, the big swap is essentially Wendell Carter for Vukovic. And I'm just like, they they really came up. Markinen can probably slide down to the four now, which, I mean, he was playing four, but now he's got a real five there mm-hmm. who's going to take a lot of the pressure off him because Wendell Carter was is a five, but it's it's not the same as Vukovic banging down there in the paint. Uh, and I think it it opens up things more for for Zach to go off. So I think the trade was great for them and the Magic. I haven't known what they've been doing since honestly since Dwight left. I don't know what that organization's been up to. <laughs> yeah, they just added a, they traded the big man who can shoot for another big man that can't shoot. Maybe they know something we don't know, but that organization for a decade now, I, I don't understand. Uh, if you think about it, though, Orlando has been a poorly run franchise their entire time. They just got lucky and was able to draft first overall when Shaq was available. 
they um, were able to get Penny and that Penny for uh, C Web deal, and then they were able to uh, draft Dwight Howard. Other than that, there's not been much competence going on down there, like ever since they started. I do always wonder what Shaq and C Web would have looked like. I don't know if it's as good as Shaq Penny, but I feel like Shaq C Web is actually really fun, also. Maybe C Web is embraced by somebody and he reaches his maximum uh, potential. Yeah, I could, we could talk, do a whole pod on C-Web because he did not, should have been much better than he was. And he was still good. Yeah, he was great, but he just could have been a lot better. <laughs> I don't, which is honestly kind of scary because of how good he was. And it was like, he still didn't scratch the surface. And just to hear him talk now, it's like, whoa, 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 C-Web, C-Web, C-Web. <laughs> but the, the thing is, what I, I like what the Bulls are doing because they're buying and to see them as the 10 seed trying to keep their options open and trying to make that playing game, I think it's really important. We hear so much about tanking, and it's like, well, if we're not going to make the playoffs, let's grab as many assets as we can and get rid of as many players as we can. So we're not good, and we can have all these draft picks that we're going to replace with players at some point in time. I like what they're doing because it's showing the rest of the league, hey, we're trying to win. We're trying to build something here. And you can be the difference in bringing back glory to Chicago as opposed to, hey, we suck. We're going to develop bad habits. We're going to overpay you. You should come here and be the difference. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can come here and fix your talent problem. I can't necessarily come fix your culture problem. Yeah, and uh, with with teams that acquire ton of assets, if you look at it now, so – OKC is done, and we still haven't seen like the fruits of that labor because they just really got it. But if you look at Boston, who was the quintessential, let's acquire assets, they turned it into Tatum and Brown, which was great. But that team is kind of stalled out as Eastern Conference Finals twice in three years, the last three years. And it looks now like that's that's as far as it's going to go. And as much as I like Tatum and Brown, acquiring all these assets just to be essentially Better than where you were, but every time they went to East Conference Finals, it, it wasn't they, – they did take LeBron to seven, but we knew LeBron was, was coming out of that series. Yeah, bro. And then, oddly, last year, I think they should have won. If you watch the games they lost, it was like, they gave this game away. And yeah. that was for several of the games, and now I think the window's just closed. Oh, yeah, because they're not a good team right now. I, like, when I watch them – it hurts. It goes, this is bad. This is a bad TV product. And, and if you look at the way the team is built, though, you have Kimba, who's supposed to, who's not good anymore uh, every day. His, his, knee, his knees are gone. And with his size and him not having that first step the way he used to, he's never going to be the same. He's not yeah. what you want. Like, you probably should have kept Scary Terry, looking back on it. But – you got you have Kemba who's not what he what he was, but he's also a scoring a scoring guard. You have Jason Tatum who can get his own bucket, who rebounds well, but does not get other people involved. Mm-hmm. Jalen can score the hell out of the basketball, can play defense, doesn't make anybody else better. Marcus Smart is supposed to be their playmaker and difference maker, but he has some of the most irrational confidence in the league, so you can just bake in four or five god-awful shots. They might as well be turnover possessions. And then they go out and they make the big moves. They go get Evan Fournier. 
Who is another person who is a wing scorer who doesn't get anybody else involved? What the hell are the – what is Danny doing? They added a damn near 20-point scorer who does nothing. And, like, it's, it's 20 points that don't help you win. So he doesn't help other people get their shots. He doesn't facilitate anything. And it's crazy that Gordon Hayward left, which, I mean, for what he wanted, I, I get letting him go. But how, monta- how monumental a piece that was because he could facilitate. And they're getting Evan Fournier back. And he scores more points than Gordon did, but he doesn't do it. He's not going to put you in winning position. No, and from what I've been reading about the Celtics, like, there is a lot going on there. So Marcus Smart was not happy about being in, in trade rumors, and it was affecting his play. Which I couldn't imagine. Fair. Uh the team is divided by locker rooms. So because of the COVID and the social distancing, in their home locker room, they have to use two different locker rooms so everybody can have adequate space. And it's pretty much divided vets and young guys. Well, that's kind of how their team is split. And there's a lack of camaraderie. Like if you see them on the court, it is the Jalen Brown show. It is the Jason Tatum show. It might be the Kemba show, depending on if he shows up that day. And after that, it's bad. Tatum and Brown are certified bucket getters. They're all-stars. They're they're great young players. The bench, last year, I was like, this bench needs some upgrades. And the bench got worse. Imagine a world where they're like, we want Brad Wanamaker back. Imagine a world where like, we want Ennis Cantor back. And that's where they're at now, where they got Tristan Thompson. And Ennis Cantor is a better solution than Tristan Thompson, where you Tristan, want Brad Wanamaker back. Tristan isn't playing well, and they don't want him around the team. Apparently, he keeps going out because, you know, Tristan lives that life. Apparently. And at this point, I just feel like he's just he was just trying to force his way out of there. But they're not going anywhere. And with the locker room being split this year, it's been, been split previously – Apparently, there's real issues between Jalen and Marcus Smart as far as, like, just the way they play the game of basketball. Was Kyrie really the problem in Boston? Like, I know what the reports are going to say. I know we're going to say that, look at Kyrie now. He's sitting out again. Um, There's a lot of things that we can point to that make Kyrie the problem. But I don't think Boston, in in the immediate present and past, has showed anything that tells us that they deserve the benefit of the doubt in as it comes to building a championship basketball program. I'm not going to sit here and say it was all Kyrie's fault, but let's not sit up here and be like, oh, look, they're imploding. See, Kyrie wasn't the problem because Kyrie was definitely part of the problem also. He's certified 25 a game. They were a second seed when he went out. But once he went out, you saw that team was was really moving. Like, he went out, and then Scary Terry became Scary Terry. Like he got a nickname. And this is the first time people have been talking about him since Louisville. So I'm saying we're not going to sit up here and be like, oh, see, it wasn't Kyrie's fault when Kyrie went out and we saw what happened. They went to seven games against LeBron. And granted, like I said, we knew LeBron was going was gonna to pull a LeBron and get himself out of that series. But they were they were really good that year. And then the next year when Kyrie came back, Jason Tatum did not look as good. Jalen Brown did not look as good. And the year before that, right when he went out, we were like, yo, look, these young cats are going. And you would assume 
They were a second seed. These young players took leaps. And then with Kyrie coming back, who's a 25 points a game guy, they would have been all right. And it just was not there. So I think Kyrie also deserves some of the blame for this. And he, yes, has been a problem. I'm not saying that he isn't a problem, but I think he was painted as the problem. And maybe just the Celtics aren't as well run. They're not as uh, – there's not as much camaraderie going on there as we like to make it out to be. That's all I'm saying. I think there's a very possible world where Kyrie was that problem. And then once Kyrie left, they got a whole new set of problems. So if we look at them as separate instances within the same organization, Kyrie was a problem during that period. And now they have a whole new shit summer problems during this period. But you know what's been consistent between both? Danny Ainge, the guy picking the talent. Yeah, it, we've discussed that. But it might be time for him to, to head on now. Look, I, I love to take shots at Danny Ainge. Is there anything? Oh, I, there's really nothing else trade deadline to talk about. Uh, Lonzo didn't move. Did that shock you at all? It did. Because of the hot streak he's on. I wanted him to stay because it seems he's doing well right now, playing the best basketball of his career, and he's with Zion. I feel like Zion is the player like perfect for him. I think Lonzo also kind of fits in that Ben Simmons, not bringing the ball up, but and since he can shoot, but he's more a spot-up shooter, let him post in, in one of the corners, let him post on the wing, and then he also driving to the basket, catching it, and, pa- and that, that pass like, Second, third pass in the set is where he excels also, as well as in transition. So I wanted him to stay with this young team that is that is moving when they give Zion the ball. And I'm glad he stayed because it's, it's doing well for his career. It was yeah, either that or go to Charlotte and play with his brother. We know we all wanted to see that. Lonzo and, and LaMelo living out LaVar's dream. So we didn't talk about uh, Rondo to the Clippers. Do you think that puts the Clippers over the top because they now finally have a point guard? I think it helps, but I think Rondo, and I know this is going to sound crazy because of like the playoff Rondo we saw last year. I don't think it does much for them until maybe the playoffs. And I don't know if Rondo really has this playoff Rondo and it's going to happen again. But last year, Rondo was hitting threes. And like the first three he hit in the playoffs, we were like, bro, y'all not going to win. Rondo's, Rondo just hit a three. Like y'all are really done. And then Rondo started hitting more. And we were like, what the fuck is happening? Like Rondo's actually consistently hitting threes in the playoffs. And then he went to Atlanta, so that all went away. We'll see what happens, but right now I think it's I think it's kind of smoke and mirrors, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the playoffs Rondo turns into playoff Rondo. So, you know, Rondo is a is a difficult they, – they say he's difficult. I just think, you know, he, he's a smart guy and he doesn't hold his, bite his tongue for anybody. Um, but, you know, LeBron is a different person, and, and you know, players – I'm not saying that players don't go at it with LeBron. It's crazy. But there's just he, – he demands a certain level of respect. Do you think – like, where do you think Rondo falls in that in that pecking order as far as the team goes? Like, do you really think he responds to Kawhi checking him? I'm not even going to say PG. <laughs> do you think I he think- responds to Kawhi checking him the same way that LeBron would, even if, if Rondo is right – and Kawhi is wrong in in kind of the, the interaction. I think really in the pecking order, he falls right under Kawhi. And I also don't like Kawhi. 
we've never really seen him be a confrontational guy. So I don't see, I don't see Kawhi checking him if he thinks Rondo's in the run. I don't see Kawhi checking him as like checking him, defending himself. And I don't see him checking Rondo as the aggressor and, and he pushes the issue. I don't see that really happening. And Rondo's definitely not taking any shit from, from PG. It's just not happening. Nah, nah. They got they got uh, Marcus Morris. He's gonna he's gonna be the one that's gonna be putting Rondo in place. I don't think anyone needs to like. It's weirdly he people say he's he's a bad teammate and stuff. I think he's like strangely very malleable on teams like this. Like he came into he came into the Lakers, did well. He did really well in Boston. When he comes into teams that are established and already kind of have a mold, he does well. He didn't do well with the Kings. They were wild. The so were the so were the Pelicans. And now Atlanta. So you look at the teams where he really wasn't Rondo, we know, and it was teams that were in disarray. When you I have a team with some semblance of structure, and I'm not saying the Clippers are the epitome of structure, but they're better than the, those other three teams and they have good players, I think he'll be all right. I think the um, I think that the, the, the way that Dallas worked out for him, is the reason why he gets the bad rap so bad. I mean, yeah, I I, I know what the hell happened in Boston. It just got old after a while. But it's like, oh, he didn't work well with Rick Carlisle. You know, Rick Carlisle's one of the, our greatest coaches who – maybe Rick Carlisle does something that I don't see. But outside of 2011, am I missing something on Rick Carlisle? I don't think you are. Like, 2011 was a great run. But we got to chalk that up to Dirk getting the hottest we've ever seen somebody get in a playoff run. Like, Dirk in 2011 was insane. So Rick Carlisle was the coach for that, but I think that more so falls on Dirk getting super hot, and it just was a very good vet team. They had but a you lot hear of how pieces. Rick Carlisle's talked about, though, right? Like He got one of them things. And this high, high echelon of NBA coaches. And again, it may be something that I'm missing, but like I look at Dallas and I don't even know if, I mean, I don't know if I've ever looked down at Dallas in a Rick Carlisle era and go, it's a championship operation going on down there. It goes, uh, they're going to overachieve maybe, but not achieve enough. I think. And I'm, we're not up here saying Rick Carlisle's trash. Don't need no, 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 God, no. He's a great. I don't think he's. I think he is a great coach. I don't think he's on the level people are putting. I wouldn't even put him on the same level as like a Spolstra. Like everybody was talking about Spolstra, and they were like, "Oh, look, once LeBron left, LeBron left, and and Bosch was hurt. He has still had that team a contender, and they are very good. And their best player is Jimmy Butler, who like I love Jimmy Butler, but he's not a. We need a we need a buckets. We need you to go get us buckets. He's a gritty player. He's not a flashy player. And Spolstra got that team to the finals. So that's the type of, like doing more with less. And I don't think Carlisle has done that. I think his team is operating about where they should for the roster they have. Fair. So injuries that are now playing a big part in the season. And you see that we lost. Both our top two MVP front runners for, uh, for extended periods of time. But even if you take a step back, you can think about the amount of time that Kevin Durant has missed due to injury, the, the amount of time that Anthony Davis has lost due to injury, uh, CJ McCollum, Yusuf uh, Nurkic, you know, players who contribute significantly to great teams. 
have been out uh, a lot this season. And do you think that – oh, shit, don't let me forget Mellow Ball, like the front runner for Rookie of the Year. He's now done for the season with a broken wrist. Do you think that the 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 schedule has amplified the, the amount of injuries that we have this year? It's weird because there was a very quick turnaround between the bubble and the start of the season. But you've got to remember – so we'll say CJ McCollum. So Portland had the season ended in what March and then came back in July. So he had they had like what four months off. Mm-hmm. And then they came back. We're in the bubble. So had those couple weeks. Then they played the Lakers and were out. And then they had that truncated offseason. So I do think the truncated offseason did hurt, but it's also you guys had a long time off came back and played for a few weeks and then came back. I would always, I'm leaning towards you've got to point to the truncated off season. Like regardless, the off season was very short and these players are coming back and more of your big time players are having injuries that are keeping them out for a, for a longer period of time. LaMelo ball. I wouldn't really throw in there because for him, he would have got, if everything was going, how it was supposed to, he would have gotten drafted in what late, late June, July. And then he would have, gone to training camp. The season would have started late October, early November. So for him, the season started late December. He got even more time off. That was just an injury. But I think for your big name players that are a lot of them sidelined this year, and then your two front runners for MVP, I think you've got to point to the the truncated off season. And I think that's also why the players are like, this would usually be a four to six week injury. I'm taking six to eight. Yeah. Because they had to turn around so soon. And I look at look at pretty much all of these teams, right? The Lakers, they look so good with AD and LeBron. And then even with just LeBron and no AD, that it's like, hey, get right. We need you for the playoffs. We'll be okay. The Sixers have a big enough lead, you know, at the top to where it's like, we know Embiid's coming back in a few weeks. Ben's going to win us some games still. We'll make a move here or there if necessary, but we're going to be okay. The Blazers, even though their their injuries were early, Dame was looking great. So it's like, hey, CJ, don't rush back. We're competing. We're looking great. We don't want you to come back early and then not be able to perform in the playoffs. So I think with the truncated season, all, with, with, the, um, with the games, where we're playing like four games a week now, with four games of pretty much seven days, I think that the players are taking that time off because they're thinking more about the playoffs and moving forward. Yeah, but, I'm sure this also kind of mirrors the 99 season because they were planned back to back to backs and you have more games in a compressed time because the season is now short and they got to get more games in. So I think it's partly the offseason and partly they just playing so many games. Yeah. And I mean, even LeBron's injury it was a freak injury. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't a wear and tear. No. Steph Curry hurting his tailbone, freak injury. Um, so with that, with with LeBron and Joel and B essentially being removed from the MVP conversation, what is your list looking like these days? I got number one is Joker. Number okay. two is Dame. And then number three is Luca. And I don't – I think those are really the only people it can be. Joker's got 27, 11, and 8. 
I don't think they're really going to give it to anyone lower than, I even think a fifth seed is pushing it. But after what happened with Russ, I don't think they're giving it to anyone a sixth seed or lower. And I think if Joker's really going to win it, they got to pass the Lakers, which they're only, they're like two and a half games out of third. So they can pass the Lakers. They might even be able to pass the Clippers. Uh, Dame's numbers are great. They're a game behind Denver, but I don't see them jumping like I can see Denver possibly doing it. And then Luca, let's just play this one safe because everyone loves to get mad about it. Luca is 100% an MVP caliber player. He is putting up MVP caliber numbers. He is not having an MVP caliber season when it comes to how his team is doing. Well, I'm not, well, not going to give it to you if they're hot right now, but their team is still a seven seed. If they continue this hot streak and they jump into like a three or four seed, by all means, then he will jump Dame and Joker. But where it stands right now, he's behind Joker and Dame. And that's because Joel and LeBron both got hurt. So uh, if if he magically wins it this year, if they do happen to jump Portland, Denver, and the Lakers or Clippers, we still need to remember Joel Embiid went out and LeBron went out. So he went from what should be five, he's now three because one and two went out. And if he wins, he'd be number one when he should really be number three when our two front runners went out. So I got a list of five, and it's a little bit different than yours. I think right now, though, what we're seeing is why LeBron is the MVP of the league because Jesus Christ. Here we go. That Lakers team looks absolutely terrible. But you can't be the MVP of the league if you're missing that many games. I, I, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'm comfortable if Joel wins. I'm not comfortable if LeBron wins. You are a LeBron. No, jo- Joel, and I understand they were one and two, but it was a – clear one and two it was not one a it was not one and one a joel was one and like had it set in stone until he got hurt lebron was right there but he was under and it was a clear line between one and two i think joel was playing better basketball but i think when you start getting into value and what you mean to your team i think lebron just means more to his team and and that would then in turn make him the more valuable player even though he's not playing the best, but that again, that's just my perspective. Maybe we'll I'm see if a- Ben Simmons goes out because LeBron also lost AD. So it's it's LeBron. Look at the Lakers now, and LeBron's gone. We'll look at the Lakers and LeBron and AD are gone. So let's let's lump both that in there. <laughs> All right, so here's my list. Um, and I'm not gonna say it's in order, but my number one is my number one. Chris Paul, Giannis, Joker, Dame, Luca. And I know Chris Paul does not have the statistical, um, the stats of these guys. He doesn't have the statistical resume to say, oh, he's the MVP. He's 16, he's 16 and nine, and they're a two seed. And he, the, the main difference between the Suns today and the Suns a year ago is Chris Paul. Yes, they added Langston Galloway and Jay Crowder, but that team is ran by Chris Paul. They're a two-seed because of Chris Paul. And if you watch that team, they are just different. They play winning basketball. They play better basketball than they did previously. And just the winning follows him. His track record is showing that he brings winning. And it's not in the stats, but if you actually watch Chris Paul, you have – I think he makes a strong argument to be – the MVP, but if not a top three guy in the MVP. And if you and if you think about it, man, Steve, just like Steve Nash, man, just the point guard out there making it go. 
And yes, there are players with a better statistical case against him, but I like Chris Paul. Next, well, real quick, real quick, because with Chris Paul, I'm looking at I'm looking at the numbers, and of course, like you said, the numbers just aren't there. But I 100% agree with you, just for like what he means to the team. He has catapulted that team into the two seed, and they're just a very good team now. And he's the one that runs it, and it kind of has like O2 Jason Kidd vibes when he went to the Nets. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, if you are going to say that CP3 should win MVP because he's the most valuable player to his team, then like because I think he's more valuable to the Suns than LeBron is to than LeBron is to the Lakers. So then he's got to jump everybody because he's the most valuable player to his team than anyone in the league. So for one most I, valuable player, to, then he jumps Joel and LeBron. But we can't be like, oh, they're, LeBron is really most Like if it's most valuable to their team, then it's Chris Paul, period. And that's just not – it's it's what the award is, but not what actually what they give the award out for. He's not playing the best basketball. He's the most important to his team. So, yes. And I don't, I forgot what I had on my on our first the first time we did this what I had for my MVP I probably had LeBron because I was being a fanboy, uh, but it is what it is. Um, Giannis, man, bro, Giannis is 29-12 and six. Doesn't matter. And I I know it shouldn't matter, but they're surging. They're what two game? They're 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 what? Yeah, they're two seed, like a game and a half back, something like that, and. We're going to look at the playoffs and say no, or we're going to say that he's not Larry Bird or was it Bill Russell who won three uh, MVPs in a row. We're just not going to put him in that same rare air. But the numbers are there. The impact is there, and he's getting better. Maybe we were burying Giannis a little bit too early. He just had to take his playoff lumps. Uh, then I got the Joker. You've you've already said it. He's averaging damn near a triple-double. Uh, my knock on Joker is their seating is low and he doesn't play defense, but that's not what we're losing sleep over here. Then then Dame right behind Joker with 38 and 6. He don't play defense. Their seating is low, but he's carried uh, a team missing uh, his top two uh, road dogs, man. So for them to be as competitive as they are, and granted, they're what, like a six seed or a five? Yeah, they're, they're a, six a six seed. seed. If we're going to report he's right after Chris Paul to me. And then, then, then fifth, I have Luca, and they're looking good. They're looking better. He has the numbers. Um, I don't want to spend much time on Luca because you know how his people are. Yeah, brace for inbound hate. Um. So Anthony Edwards is rookie of the year. No. It's still it's still got to be Lamelo in my mind, just because. And if you look at Anthony Edwards' numbers. They're actually, as far as points go, he's 17-4-2, but his team is god-awful. And LaMelo had his team in the lottery because he got drafted, what, third overall? Yeah. And they're a four seed. And granted, it's the East Coast, and the Eastern Conference is god-awful. But they're a four seed. They're a game above 500, and and they're winning. They look good, and he's the reason. Like Gordon Hayward's been big, also. I'm not gonna sit up here and be like, it's it's all the LaMelo show, but LaMelo's got that team looking right. Yeah, they so, look better with LaMelo. He has impacted the team way more than any rookie has impacted their team this year. I think he's got to be the rookie of the year, period. Like it, it does not matter at this point. I'm not mad at that. Um, I've liked what I've seen from Anthony Edwards, especially now that he's getting to touch yeah. the ball a little bit more. Definitely. But 
when we think back to the season injury or not, we're going to th- we think back to LaMelo as the best rookie uh, from this year. So Steve Kerr made headlines this week. Um, and I'm not going to talk about what he said about gun control because I haven't read that. And I may talk about it on tomorrow's pod because I'm going to like, you know, talk about some woke shit and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. So I may hit that. I, I don't know. But so he was on the Ruins podcast and he was talking about just the different iterations of the Warriors team. And he said on there that last year was tough. There was a lot going on and some that you didn't know about and some that you don't. It was very difficult in reference to uh, his last season with Kevin Durant. Uh, Drew Schiller, a writer um, for, I want to say, NBC Sports uh, Bay Area, he, you know, he took the piece out and he tweeted it out. He tweeted out the quote. And I went back and listened to it, and Steve Kerr talked about enjoying last season when they were terrible um, more than he enjoyed his last season with Kevin Durant. And Steve Kerr calls him out in the press conference the day after the tweet comes out or the day the tweet comes out. Uh, people are blowing up the uh, Drew Schiller's comments mentioned saying like, hey, man, you should be fired for this because you didn't properly frame it. And I, I guess what's being said is he didn't frame the quote properly by saying by, by throwing the Kevin Durant piece in there. OK, he used Kevin Durant to, to get more attention to the tweet, obviously. But for me, if you say the year. Or if you say the year that – or Kevin Durant's last year, was it 2019? Mm-hmm. It's, if you go 2019, finds like a um, Raptors year, right? Or if you say Kevin Durant's last year, I go, oh, yeah, that's the year the Raptors won when KD and, them got, KD and, and Clay got hurt. But anyways, Steve just like goes off and, and says that there were other things that were that were leading to why the season was so bad, like the pressure and the injuries and stuff. But he did not say that in the podcast. He didn't say that until he goes off in the press conference. And I'm just like, bro, Steve Kerr, you said what you said. Just stand on it. And the fact that the reporter is apologizing for tweeting what you said because he didn't frame it properly because you got to be sensitive and getting your feelings about it, I think it's crazy. And it scares me to see where media could be going to where you have to walk on eggshells because God forbid you quote somebody and they don't like their own quote and they get to call you out. So I thought that was just an awful showing by Steve Kerr, who's typically a, a classy individual, but it takes me into asking, man, Steve Kerr, how good of a coach is he? I think he is a very good coach. I, I think he – because team was pretty much the same that he got from Mark Jackson, and he yeah. took them to a championship. When with Mark Jackson, they couldn't get – I think they got to what, like the second round. Yeah. So he took them over the top. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's one of the greatest coaches ever. Like he just got blessed with a great team. He was part of their success, though, and I think a big part. So I think he's also a big part of the criticism they should get, like for the loss in 2016. Yes, they were doing some things on the court where, like, Steph did that behind-the-back pass and stuff like that. 
I don't understand why he didn't play Leandro Barbosa more because they were doing great when he was on the court and then he stopped playing him as much. So I think the success he, the success and the accolades he gets is fine. I think he, the criticism he gets is also warranted, but I'm not going to sit up here and say like, bro, you had Stephen Clay and Draymond, they did everything for you. And then of course KD came and we just know probably the best team to ever assemble, but we're not going to sit up here and be like, Steve Kerr didn't didn't do work though. No, I I don't like the narrative that he's not a good coach because he made noticeable changes that that made them a champion versus a playoff team. You know, he put Draymond in the starting lineup. He put Steph on the ball more and not it's not just having him in the corner. Instead of running so much pick and roll, they started more of a motion offense. Like he made Obvious changes to what was happening in Golden State that made them champions. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The job is balancing egos, managing egos, and it's hard. And if you look at the, any great dynasty, they don't last long because people have egos. People want to get credit for what it is that they do. Players want to play a certain style. Like, hey, KD went there because he wanted to play the motion style that they played, but then it's like, hold on, this is too much motion. Like, I'm KD. Like, I want to ISO a little bit more often and get to play that way. And so, again, Steve was able to make that work. And as much as we credit Kawhi for his great finals, which, I mean, if you look at his numbers, a little overblown. He had a great playoff run. But is anybody, does anybody think they actually win that championship if, KD is healthy the entire finals or fuck that. If Clay doesn't even go, if Clay plays, if Clay doesn't get hurt, I still think the Warriors win. Yeah. So what's KD is like foregone conclusion. If I think even if Clay stays healthy, they win that series. Absolutely. So I don't like that coming. I don't like that piece about Steve Kerr, him not being a good coach, but him, him not taking accountability for his words is just bullshit. That one, like, I, I read it, and didn't he say 2019 KD's last year? I don't remember. So if he framed it as KD's last year, people are automatically going to assume. Oh, you're talking you're, about the, the journalist? Yes. Yeah. So if you say KD's last year, people are automatically – but didn't the journalist take the quote from Steve? Or okay, did he so just I, say So KD's I'm going to I'm going to read the tweet. Steve Kerr told at Logan Murdoch he enjoyed last season when the Warriors were 15 and 50 more than Kevin Durant's final season with the Warriors. Quote, that last year was tough. There was a lot going on. Some that you know about and some that you don't. That was very difficult. End quote. So if that is the quote that last year, if he just was talking, referencing 2019 and saying it was hard for stuff you know and stuff you don't know. Once that guy throws KD's name on it, people are going to assume you're talking about KD. So I get him being upset there because he's like, whoa, bro, like you threw in, you linked KD to the year. And yes, it was KD's last year. But all I was saying was there were some things we were dealing with internally. There's a lot people knew about. There's a lot people didn't know about. And it made it tough for us as a whole. And he could, and it was referencing the injuries, the egos, all the pressure. He was referencing 
everything. So yes, KD was part of it, but he was referencing everything. Once you say KD as a journalist, you are saying people are going to look at it and see it as KD was the problem this last year. And it was more fun this losing year than like when this this guy made a, a toxic environment for us. So I get him saying it was taken out of context there because that's that's not what he said and that's not how it was meant. Um, but if you remember after the, um, the 2018 season, David West came out and talked about how hard that season was. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve and Kevin have kind of, you know, they've, they've hinted at some things and Kevin Durant didn't come back. Your core stayed the same. Kevin left. So even if, Drew Schiller is wrong for for using Kevin Durant's name, which I disagree with. I think it's fine because it, re- it it gives you a point of reference for the year, and it didn't say anything damning about Kevin Durant. But actions have shown that there was a locker room issue. Kevin Durant went on record and said, hey, he had an issue with the way that the Draymond situation was handled because, it yeah, they gave Draymond the suspension, but they didn't actually address the problem and they didn't see what Draymond did. They didn't see that as being problematic and Kevin Durant left. So there's obviously tension there. It's out there. So you can't get mad at somebody for speaking about something that's true. No. And I, I, I got what you're saying there, but it was two years ago. If he would have just said, Losing in 2020 was more fun than the season they had in 2019. We all know that's the KD year. We all know there was a bunch of things going on that year. So it leaves it open to interpretation that it could fall under any of these things. Once he says KD's name, when Steve did not say KD's name specifically, you're king on that one issue when there were a lot of other issues. And of course, that was the biggest one. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, well, like they also had injuries that were just as important. And like, no, it was the injuries were as important in the playoffs. But up until then, it probably was not fun all year because you had this looming thing between KD. He's, you don't know where he's going. He's fighting with Draymond, and that was a big public fight. And everybody expects you to win a championship for the third time in a row. And the inside of the locker room is crumbling. So I, I get that that was the biggest issue. But once the journalist says KD, it immediately becomes KD. And even if that was the biggest issue, we all kind of know it was. Steve ain't say that. And that's the part. If I'm Steve, that I I would take issue with as well. Fair. I I just think Steve took a cheap out right there because he got caught up saying some shit on the podcast, and he didn't provide the full context in the podcast that he pro, that he would gave in the uh, press conference. But there's probably also some some other stuff going on there. I don't follow enough Warriors. Um, media to know what their relationship could be like because they could have a terrible relationship and it's like come on bro you really doing this shit again like yeah. my stop. thing is we know it was an issue and steve was trying to be was likely trying to be diplomatic not bring up that one particular thing was saying like hey we had a bevy of issues if i'm trying to be diplomatic and you you're the one that hints at that issue even though i wasn't hitting at that specifically because i was being diplomatic i'm gonna also be like bro you said that not me and I, too, would be like, you, it was taken out of context. I did not say that. And he was trying to be diplomatic. We know KD was, was, there was an issue there. But he was trying to not single anyone out. 
which I get. And the reporter issued that one issue out, singled that one issue out. So I have no problem with Stephen like, hey, bro, he said that, not me. That was out of context. All I said in context was we had some issues and I got no problems with it. Fair enough. How do you feel? My voice was correct. How do you feel about uh, Draymond calling himself the greatest defender of all time? In the words of Stephen A. Smith, stay off the weed. <laughs> just, Dwight got three defensive player of the year awards. Ben Wallace got four defensive player of the year awards. Kawhi got two defensive player of the year awards. I just, you're not the best defensive player of all time. Is he very versatile and could probably consider himself one of? Sure. Because if you think about it, Dwight's a rim protector. Dikembe won four, but Matumbo's also a rim protector. Rudy's a rim protector. And then the guys who won on the perimeter were perimeter defenders. Whereas Draymond can defend all five positions. He's fine if you leave him out on the perimeter. He's fine if you leave him down low. But he's not better down low than those rim protector guys were. And he's not better on the perimeter than like when Kawhi was right. Kawhi, Scotty, he's not better than those guys. So is he one of the best defenders all time? Purely based off his versatility, yes. Is he the best defender of all time? Get the hell out of here, Draymond. Yeah, I don't really think I have much to add to that because do I think he's the best Swiss Army knife on defense? Sure. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I just want, I just need a machete. Yeah. So if he wants to say I'm the most versatile defender of all time, all right, like, cool, caveat. All right, you got it. But to say I'm the best defender of all time, we're not giving you that one. Has he even been the best defensive player in the league? Like, yeah, and, and I get he's gotten the award, but still, would you take him over the premier rim defender of the time or the the premier perimeter defender? Like, who who, who would you want, Draymond on his best day or Ben Simmons on his best day? Ben Simmons, and that's the thing is, if you say like, well. You're up to the other team is going to put in their best player's hands. And then you would think about it like, well, is the best player a big man? Is the best player like if I have to just say a defender overall all time, I'm probably going with Kawhi. And if we're going right now, I'm going Ben Simmons. You got any love for LeBron's defense? Those were the, were the top two. Like Kawhi is probably the best defender I've seen. LeBron would definitely be up there also. But I think, I think LeBron's a better defender than like all time. I think LeBron's a better defender than Draymond. I would pick LeBron before I pick Draymond. If LeBron wasn't wasn't giving you twenty seven seven and seven a night, he could do what Draymond does on defense better than what Draymond does on defense. Yeah, only reason I picked them two, I'm saying like all time the number one person that would come to mind I would think of would be Kawhi. And then if I just had to pick one player right now, I know Kawhi's playing right now, but he ain't the same. He ain't the no. same no. Kawhi with the clamps. If I had to pick one player in the league right now, it would be Ben Simmons. I love Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is tall enough to actually protect the rim. He's agile enough to guard one through five, strong enough to, with the big man. Uh, how did you feel about the the Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons conversation? Rudy Gobert is a great defender. I'm not going to sit up here and be like, it's not even close. He's a great defender, averages three blocks a game. He, he puts in work on the defensive end, both boarding and protecting the rim. But Ben Simmons does a lot of those things you can't quantify. Like, you can't quantify the best player on the perimeter gets the ball and then they have to take a tough shot. I mean, I, of course, that stuff actually is quantified. But like, you, can't, you can't quantify somebody looking off their best player because Ben is ben right Ben Simmons there. is on them. You can't look at somebody being like, 
this player, this is a shot they typically shoot, but now they had to pass out of it because Ben Simmons was on them so tough. You can look at like opponent field goal percentage, but a lot of the stuff Ben Simmons does, you can't quantify. Oh, we're going to make this skip pass, but Ben Simmons is in the lane and he's so damn long, so we couldn't make that pass anymore. Oh, Ben Simmons is on this guy and he usually takes – he usually takes the shot, but now he had to pass out of it because Ben Simmons would have blocked it. Like the stuff he does, you can't quantify. And if you just watch him play, he's the best defender in the league. Absolutely, I don't think yeah. it's shabby to say Rudy Gobert second. Like you right up there, bro. And, and I'm sorry, Rudy. You you block a lot of shots, you grab a lot of boards, but somebody gave you 40 and 20, bro. <laughs> I I don't care if it's Joel Embiid. He gave you 40 and 20. Yeah, but that's the MVP. I mean, sometimes just what can you do? Man, you see what Zion did to him. Zion is a freak of nature, man. I've watched him. I don't know if it was the other night or last night. I'm getting the days all mixed up. But he's unreal. Nah, he really is. I I enjoy watching him. One of my favorite league pass teams. And for, as we close out, uh, let me talk about my fa- my least favorite league pass teams. The teams that make me turn on Netflix when I'm watching basketball. And I made this list before the trades happened, but I don't see much changing here. Uh, the Magic. Yes. Why would you ever turn them on? The, the Pistons. Why would you ever turn them on? The Raptors. Don't that's, enjoy watching them play. That's the one I saw, and I was like, this is a team. Because, of course, the teams you had on the list were, like, bad teams. If they're teams that are actually, like, are good but just aren't on primetime and are on league pass – the Raptors, by all intents and purposes, like should be good this year. They lost Surge, but other than other than that, they have a lot of that same core from last year, and they're not fun to watch. No, it's hard for me to watch. It's just like uh Pascal Spin, Kyle Lowry, butt bumping the people. Oh, he's out today. Uh Van Vliet, oh, he's hitting today. Uh, he's off for the next. It's just like uh this just can't get into it. Um, the Bulls when Levine's on the bench. Yeah, he's a very exciting player to watch, but the team. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kobe White. You're fun, but not fun enough. Uh, the Clippers offense. This is the one that might change with Rondo now, but if you watch their offense, and I almost put the Celtics offense on here too, because but I didn't want to keep shitting on them, is if you watch their offense, it just looks so unnatural. Even if PG or Kawhi, or if we're going to throw the Celtics in here, Jason or or, or Jalen, they get a shot, a good shot, a nice shot. You just watch their offense. There's just no rhythm. It is two wings, hey, go score. Yeah. if When I saw the list, and like I told you, the teams were bad, but other teams I was like, actually people would – People would get league pass to watch. Like no one's getting league pass to watch the Magic. No one's getting league pass to watch the Pistons. So the team that's on there, the Raptors belong. The Clippers, it said offense, and I was like, throw the whole team away. And like <laughs> I have zero love for the Clippers, but I don't like watching them. And I thought the Celtics should have been on there. Like I love Jason Tatum, I love Jalen Brown, but I don't like watching Celtics games. And if that's the why they're on, on there. Because I like the players, but I don't like watching them play. It's no. hard to watch. And it's if the like, Celtics are on, I'm I'm turning on Ginny and Georgia. Shout out to Cheesy Show on Netflix. Don't I wouldn't watch it if I was you. But, I have a fiance, so that's why I've seen it. Fair. I really be also like, oh yeah, let me see what Tatum gonna do today. Oh, I gotta watch Grant Williams. 
Yeah. <laughs> I do like Peyton Pritchard. I will say that. I do like Peyton Pritchard. Uh, the Timberwolves, pre-coaching change, back when they would not put the ball in Anthony Edwards' hands. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, I can do without this. No D-Lo. Cat doesn't want to be here. And it, it, turn it off. And the Nets last night, oh, my God, they didn't have a big three playing. None of them played. I turned the game on. I see, like, damn, Utah whooping their ass. Like, I know Kyrie is out. I know KD is out. What's going on with James? I see him on the bench. I'm like, oh. There is oh. no reason to watch them. But really, no. how often is that going to be the case that all three of them don't play? If you have even one of them playing, you're going to watch because Kyrie is electric with the ball. James Harden is James Harden, and KD is KD. The Nets wouldn't have made the list had I not turned their game on last night to to try to watch them and see that they weren't there. But I'll say my honorable mention were uh, Indiana. Uh, I watch at times. But I mean, now that they got now that they got Karis out there, and once he gets in rhythm. I can watch Karis LeVert. And then um, Denver. I don't really enjoy Joker's game. It's great. I enjoy it. I, it's, I not, like it's not a game I like to watch. Or Jamal Murray. I'd add the Lakers because that's they played the Pelicans in their last game. And I was like, if Zion wasn't playing right now, I'd have no reason to watch this game. You know what? Yeah, let me add the Lakers because there's no LeBron, no AD. I'm not watching that shit. No, I'm not watching the Kuzma show. That's not a show. That's canceled. Yeah. Um, so the hey, Lakers belong about, firmly on there. How do you feel about the Lakers not making a move at the deadline? I don't mind it. Like, we'll see how healthy LeBron and AD can get. But if they get healthy, I don't think there's a problem. And that's going to be the hard part is can they get healthy in time to, like, get back in shape and, and play well in the playoffs? But – the way the team is currently assembled with those two guys, I think they're fine. And if you think about whatever move they were going to make, like what were they going to have to give up? Did you see what they were thinking about giving up for Kuzma? I mean, not Kuzma, uh, Kyle Lowry. What was it? It was going to be like Taylor Horton Tucker, Trez, uh, Schroeder. I'm. I wouldn't have been mad if that if that trade would have gone through, but I also think knee jerk reaction. I don't like losing Trez. I know he hasn't looked great. That's the actually the part I I wouldn't have liked losing Trez either. Like, of like, course, you lose Schroeder, you but you get back Lowry. But Lowry. I, I don't. I don't want to lose Trez. And somehow he looks way better. He he fits better with this team than the Clippers last year. I yeah, I like what Trez looks like. Um, I love him and LeBron on the pick and roll. And but Trez and Kuz gotta gotta pick it up. This is where Kuz is supposed to have this thirty five point game. We'll see, man. I like you know I don't have much hope for Kuz. I know he's okay, but like I said, and I'll say it probably for as long as his career is going on, he does not play for the Lakers. He's Evan Fournier. He plays for the Lakers, and he gets all this hype and 100 tattoos and talking to L.A. IG models. If he was not in L.A., he's Evan Fournier. And people are like, oh, yeah, Kyle Kuzma's cool. And you, you don't think about it. That's all you ever say. Yeah, Kyle Kuzma's cool. JJ to the uh, Mavericks. We didn't talk about that. Luka got them a shooter. Maybe they take off. Maybe. 
I, I didn't like the Seth Curry letting him go. So it, I'm happy that they got a shooter back, but we'll see. I feel like that team is doomed. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're Dallas. You know what? They, they had their shot, but uh, thanks Eric, man. We're definitely going to do this again, probably in a couple weeks. We'll see what comes up that happens in port. And I got a funny story to tell you when we get off here though. Oh, awesome. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're done here.